everyone. It is good to be back. It was fun to go on vacation. And uh, for those of you who know me, and for, oh, for those of you who may not know me, I, you are fully aware of, and I'll tell you right now, that I am a history nut. I, I love the study in history. I enjoy history. I'm the kind of guy where if, you go into a, if I go into a bookstore, I don't feel like I've been to the bookstore until I at least take a peek into the history section. I like to look around and see if anything catches my eye. And the same thing in a gift shop or a gift store or wherever. I'm probably going to look for some books, and I'm not looking for the cookbooks. I'm not looking for the self-help books. I'm not looking for those books, which are fine and dandy. I'm just looking for the history. I enjoy learning wherever I go the history of what has happened before. I, I, for ever since I was a little kid, it something hit me that, hey, this is something that has actually happened with people who were just like me, who thought just like me, who had the same problems, joys, wishes, desires in life just like me. And these are the things that they went through. And, and for whatever reason, that's just, that's me. I, I enjoy it wherever I go. And uh, I really enjoyed the trip to Bermuda and seeing all the history there. It was really neat seeing all of that. Um, I am a very patriotic person being from uh, this country, America. And so being in Boston, it's up to its eyeballs in old American history. And it just grabbed me and drew me into it. And I'll talk a little bit about that later because it ties into the message today, I promise. Um, my original title for today's message was going to be uh, No Salvation Without Justification, but I decided to change it to A Declaration of Dependence. And you might wonder, well, that doesn't really sound too good. Because if you're saying that, you're like me because you're American, you think, oh, no, it should be independence. It's, you know, independence and, you know, uh, I'm a lover of liberty. That's I, that's my go-to. I look back and I love enjoying and listening to different quotes of the founding fathers and what their stance on was on liberty, and that's, that's just me. Um, and it was real fascinating to see some of the old stuff. Um, and to tie into this is that in here is actual history as well. And I can go in and tell you about the stories that happened to this person and that person, but this history book is a little bit different because in on every page, starting at the very first page and on the back page, its main constant theme is Jesus Christ, Son of God, for you and for me. If you, I, I challenge you when you're reading a scripture, especially in the Old Testament, even, even make it a habit, or you know, if you don't want to, that's fine. But something that I find fun, right at the top of the page, where's Jesus? Or look for Christ on every page, because I promise you, if you look for him, he's there. And when you see it, it's like you can't unsee it. And it, it's, it's so, it's such a gift because there are days when, if I'm looking in here, I'm not finding any hope. I'm not finding any joy. I'm not finding any good news. All I'm finding is bad news. The bad news is I am far worse than I think I am. As horrible as a person that I know that I can be, I'm actually worse than that. 
But the good news is, is that God loves me so much more than I think he does. And put yourself in the same sentence. You are far worse than you think you are. That's the bad news. But the good news is, God loves you so much more than you think he does. So much more. The moment you think you've grasped it and got it, keep going. It outruns you. It, 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 outrun, it outruns your good. It outruns your bad. It outruns all of you. The love of God that he has for each and every one of you in this room is eternal. It's a love that, that would compel him to die to have you. And that's also in here because he did die to have you. And the, we're still continuing in this series that we're on that we've been forever on, it feels like. But Galatians is that good. The series Crucified with Christ. We're following Paul's letters in the New Testament. The text today is Galatians chapter 4, verse 8 through 31. We're picking up where we left off. And remember the theme that's running through Galatians, the death of Jesus Christ saves the death of Jesus Christ saves. The death of Jesus Christ saves. The moment you think that it's something else, nope, the death of Jesus Christ saves. The moment you think that it's all riding on you, nope, it's all riding on Christ because his death saves completely, final, all by himself. And that is good news because if he's asking me to jump in and help out, I'm toast. I'm toast. But the good news is, is that just as I was dead or in dead, Jesus Christ saved me. As much as when God in the verse in, in Genesis 1 said, let there be light, and light just came on. When the gospel is heard in the dead sinner's hole and in, in the dead sinner's soul, and it hears the death of Jesus Christ saves, it's let there be light. Let there be faith. Let there be faith in Christ. That's a mind twister too. The faith that you have in Jesus, that too is a gift. Here's the kind of God that we serve. God says only faith in Christ pleases him. Here, have some faith in Christ. Galatians chapter 4, verse 8. And Paul writes to the Galatians, remember, he's, part of the thing that he's attacking in this letter to the church in Galatia is that he gave them the gospel. They all jumped on board. They were all so excited about everything, and false, gospel, false apostles came in and gave them a different gospel, which there's not a different gospel. If it's the gospel or it's not the gospel. Uh, and so all these people in the church in Galatia were jumping on this and saying, oh, yeah, well, we got to do this too. You know, we, yeah, yeah, we can have faith in Christ, but we need to be circumcised like these. We need to follow the law. We need to uh, adhere to it. And Paul comes back in here and out of all of his letters, you know, even when it comes to correcting immoral living in the church, he, he, he did that in Corinth. He said, hey, guys, you know, you, you ought not do this. You, know, you shouldn't do this. It was very tame. But here, when the gospel is at stake, Paul is, he, he treats this letter completely different. He, it's like he stops in his tracks and turns around and says, no, no, no. Who's bewitched you? Who told you this? Who, how are you deceived by this? It can only be witchcraft. Christ crucified for the forgiveness of your sins. Full stop. 
not add something on to, to the gospel. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. The moment you add anything to Jesus for you, it stops being the gospel. It stops. And to think about it this way, what more could you possibly add to the value of the blood of God? What is, what is more valuable than the blood of God himself? Nothing. Nothing. His death for you is sufficient all by itself. Complete and full. Verse 8, formerly when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God. See, I like that little twitch, switch in emphasis that Paul puts there. Did you catch that? But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God. See, that's the ticket. I can... Tell you how, how I can put the emphasis on how much I know God and, how, and find faith in that. But my hope is in how much God knows me. My hope is in how much God will claim me. My hope, my credentials for heaven are not, hey God, here's all that I've done for you. My hope and credentials for heaven are for, hey God, this is what all you've done for me. If I'm in heaven, it's because Christ died for me. Not because I lived for him. Do you catch the emphasis, the switch, the change? Now, if you're in Christ, you will live for him. That's not what saves. Christ saves. He saves. His cross. His blood. For the sinner. While they were a sinner. That's different too. Jesus is for you while you couldn't get your act together. While you were a sinner, Christ died for you. How much does God love you? He died for you while you were his enemy to make you his heir. That's backwards in our terms, in our life, in our understanding. Bless our enemies, love our enemies, give everything for our enemies, die for my enemies? No. But that's what Christ did. How can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more? He's talking about going back to the law instead of the gospel as to what saves them. You observe days and months and seasons and years. I'm afraid I may have labored over you in vain. Brothers, I entreat you, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. You did me no wrong. You know it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. And though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, but received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. What then has become of your blessedness? For I testify to you that if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? They make much of you, but for no good purpose. And there's the false gospels. For the false apostles. They want to shut you out that you make much of them. It is always good to be made much of for a good purpose. And not only when I am present with you. My little children for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. 
I wish I could be present with you and, know, and now my, and my change my tone, for I'm perplexed by, about you. Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. Now this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Now Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother, for it is written, Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. Now you brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. But just at that time, he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the spirit, so also it is now. But what does the scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. So, brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. May God add a blessing to the reading of his word. Amen. See, Paul is using allegories, using descriptions. And see, he even points to what I said earlier. Back in the Old Testament, when the story between Hagar and Isaac, it's screaming and pointing to two different directions. Two different directions. One is through the promise. They went through Isaac, the promise that was given way back in the Garden of Eden. The promise that God made <coughs> excuse me, to Eve. The promised seed that would come. It was the line through Isaac, the promise. And who was that promised seed? It was Christ. The promise of Christ to come. Verse 8 through 9. This is the conclusion of Paul's argument. From here until the end of the Galatians, the letter to the Galatians, he will not argue very much, but will set forth commandments about morality. Paul says, I did not proclaim the works of the law and the merits of men to you. I proclaimed righteousness and the free gift of eternal and heavenly possessions to you through Christ. Paul is going through, I'm going to skip to the allegory part near the end. In verse 30, the son of the free woman is a reference to the line that the promised seed was through Christ would come. Paul concludes that this allegory, we are not children of the slave. It means that we're not under the law, which gives birth into slavery, which terrifies, accuses, leads to despair. No, we are free. We are free through Christ. To everyone who is in Christ, the law can no longer terrify and condemn you. Because the law accuses those, a law accuses sinners. Yes, we're sinners, we still sin. But just as the devil has no case, or if the devil only has a case when he accuses you of who you are outside of Christ. Sure, he has a right case. According to the law, I mean, that one, what, be perfect like your Father in heaven is perfect. Not a try to be perfect. Not a give it your best shot perfect. Not a, oh, if you just, you know, do your best perfect. No, be perfect. Don't water down the law. 
Let it come at you in full force and full value. Its purpose is to drive you to the foot of the cross. To say, have mercy on me, a sinner. Remember the thief on the cross that was next to Christ who looked at Jesus and said, remember me when you're in your kingdom. That was faith. That was confessing faith. And Jesus turned to him and said, today, today, you'll be with me in paradise. So when I said earlier about a declaration of independence, I've been wondering, well, where am I going with that? Part of the historical places that we got to see when we were in Boston is the place in where they read from atop the state courthouse to the Bostonians after they received the Declaration of Independence that it came to them from Independence Hall in Philadelphia. And they read to the town folk that the 13 colonies had declared their independence from Great Britain. It was a declaration of something that had happened. Yes, a war continued later to defend that independence, but it was they were reading the document to proclaim something. It wasn't if the town folk there had, you know, if, if they flip a coin or if they say this or do that, they, you know, it might be true. No, it was a proclamation of something that had happened. And in truth, there were loyalists who didn't want to be a part of an independent country, and they more or less went back home or went to fight with Great Britain. The Declaration of Independence wasn't for them, but it didn't change the fact of what the colonies, what the signers of the Declaration of Independence did. There was a place in there where they had a replica printer where they would print, you could, you could buy a little replica Declaration of Independence and take. And I was sitting there, I remember looking at it and thinking, well, it's just paper, it's just ink. What's so special about that? Even go back to the original one. It's just paper. It's just ink. The importance behind it was the words and what was being said and what was being confessed to, what was being declared to. And in the same aspect, you know, this is just paper. It's just ink, leather. The importance of this is the words, the words that are in it. And when you think about the gospel, Christ crucified for the forgiveness of sins. In a weird way, it's opposite of declaration of independence. It's a declaration of dependence. It's still a proclamation. It's a proclamation of something that has happened. 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ, Son of God, an actual man who had actual flesh, who had actual bones, died on an actual cross and spilled actual blood for me and for you. That was independent of you. 
But now we too can have eternal life, forgiveness of sins, reconciliation with God, adopted into his family as a result of that act of Jesus Christ, Son of God. It's a declaration of dependence, total dependence upon him and nothing else. Nothing else. And it's good news that it's something that has happened outside of me. It is good news that it is something that has happened outside of you. There was these two theologians back during the Reformation. One of his name was Martin Luther, and he had a friend of his named Philip Melanchthon. And when Martin Luther was translating the Bible that was in Latin to German, which is the first, that was a revolutionary act. And so he was doing that. He could only have communication between Philip Melanchthon through courier to where his, he was in his castle. And Philip, he wasn't as bold as Martin Luther during that time. He was very timid. He heard the gospel, and he heard it, and he's like, yeah, yeah, but I, I woke, he, would, he would write letters all the time to Martin Luther. Right, I'm saying, I woke up this morning wondering if I trust Christ enough. If I, 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 I. If I trust Christ enough. If I trust Christ enough. And Luther got letters like these from Melanchthon regularly. Because you see, Philip, like me, and maybe like some of you several times, had a habit of navel gazing, looking at his progress, looking at his growth. You know. Do, do I love God enough? Am I loving my neighbor enough? If I'm really saved, wouldn't I act like this? Wouldn't I be different? Whatever. You are different. And those times when you are doing the right thing, you're probably not going to know it. It's best that you don't know it. Because if you're like me, as soon as I know that I'm doing the right thing, I take pride in that. It no longer is being a good thing. It happens and you, it goes right past you. Things that you may not even think that are good things. Finally, in an effort to pull out all the stops after Melanchthon is sitting there and he's stewing about the state of his inner faith and if, it's an, and if his inner faith was enough to save him, because see, Philip had faith in his faith at that time when he's going through that turmoil. He's, he's looking at his faith for assurance. Look at Christ. Faith in my faith does not save me. Faith in Christ saves me. Christ saves me. So finally, in an effort to pull out all the stops and pull Melanchthon out of himself, Luther wrote back and said, Melanchthon, go sin bravely. Then go to the cross and bravely confess it. The whole gospel is outside of us. Now, that story has been told many times out of context. To caricature and to say that Luther is saying to now go sin crazy and live however you want and live licentious living. But Luther's pastoral advice was meant to jar and to shock Melanchthon out of his morbid self-reflection and introspection. His assurance, Melanchthon's assurance at that time, depended not so much on God's promise, but on his own ability to see growth and improvement in his Christian walk. Luther's frustrated counsel was not an invitation to serve sin, 
but an attempt to shock Melanchthon into realizing that his only true righteousness was external to him. The whole gospel is outside of us. Many Christians do the same today, looking for salvation in all the wrong places. They think they're standing before God now that they are Christians. It's based on their own obedience and their own righteousness. They have forgotten that the gospel is outside of us. If it was outside of us when it turned us into Christians, and it's still outside of us when we are Christians. This alien nature of the gospel is a primary theme in the New Testament. Christ's death was outside of me for me. Again, it is a proclamation of something that has happened. Christ was crucified on the cross for your sins. And on the third day, he rose from the grave so that forgiveness of sins could be given to all who look to him and have faith in him. Another story, an allegory before the team comes forward. This is a, an example that points to Christ, the simple faith in him. If you remember this story back when Moses was with the Israelites in the wilderness, the Israelites had done something wrong again. Before you hit the Israelites too much, they're us. We, we, we'd be doing the same thing. We'd be seeing miracles in front of us, and we're doubting God's promises the next day. That's me. So it's, you know, don't get too high and mighty on, on the Israelites because just the, they point to us in that way. And so those poisonous snakes were going in and were biting all the Israelites and it was, you know, they were going to die if something didn't happen. And God told, God told Moses to fashion a, a, a pole, put a bronze snake on it, and he said this, if you look at this snake, God says you'll live. So everyone who looked at the snake in faith of the promise that God said, if I look at this, I will live, they were healed. On a bigger scale, Christ on the cross became sin. Who knew no sin? Christ became sin. He became my sin. He became your sin. He was put on a pole, excuse me, he was put on a cross. And then God promises us that everyone who looks at Christ for faith in reconciliation with him and for salvation, for the forgiveness of sins, will have it. Bet all the farm on Christ crucified for your sins. Bet all of it. God has made a promise. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will live. And then maybe you're like me and you think, oh, that's, that's too simple. Surely I got to do something. Nope. The something that you did is what got you in the first place here in this point, your sin. That's your contribution. Your sin. And the end result is Christ crucified for the forgiveness of that. And that faith in him gets all of his promises. Not this one and that one. All of them. 
as the team comes forward. If you are a sinner, just like I am, if you're here this morning, you're a sinner just like me, will you raise your hand with me confessing so? Do you want the forgiveness of sins? The forgiveness of sins that Christ's cross and blood purchased for you on the cross? If you want his forgiveness of sins, Christ's forgiveness, this morning, raise your hand with me. You know what that looks like? Lord, remember me when you're in your kingdom. He's promised. His word has says, today, done, guaranteed. Therefore, according to his word, Jesus tells me in here to tell you that you are forgiven and that you have the entire forgiveness of all of your sins. So I believe him. If anyone has a problem with you saying, no, I have the forgiveness of sins because of Jesus Christ dying for me, tell them to go take it up with God because it's what he said. It's his words. He promised. That's, that's the answer in heaven. Zach, why are you here? Because you promised. You promised I'd be here. You said Jesus died for me. I'm here because Jesus died for me. Bet the whole farm on Christ. Bet all of it. He said his blood was shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. So I'd believe him. It's a proclamation, y'all. It's not a deal. It's not a guessing game. It's not a game show. It's something that's happened. Christ crucified for the forgiveness of your sins, raised on the third day. And if you are buried with him, you'll be raised with him, period. Jesus is for you. You are forgiven. As the team plays and the prayer team comes forward, if you want us to pray with you right now, if this is the first time you ever said, yes, I want the forgiveness of sins, come tell us. Let us pray for you. Let, we, we like that kind of stuff. We enjoy it. Or if you need prayer, and then maybe this is the billionth time, like me, where you've asked for the forgiveness of sins as well. That's another thing, too. God doesn't get worn out or tired out by us like I do with my sons. I get worn out way too quickly. My patience is thin with my boys, far more than it needs to be. God's never impatient with me. As many times as I need him to pick me back up, he does. Never puts me in a corner. I'm never in timeout because he already put Christ on timeout 2,000 years ago on the cross. His, all of his righteousness has been credited to my account. Not only is it as if you had never sinned or being counted as if you had never sinned. In God's throne room, it's being counted as if you had always obeyed. You're free to love your neighbor. The war is over. God bless y'all. His promises are yea and amen. Hallelujah. If you want to depend on the promises of God, you've needed your life this morning, why don't you come forward? Nessie, I want you to come forward and bring Lenny with you. 
traveling tomorrow and we're going to pray with you that somehow, some way, that through your visit here, that the Lord has imparted something inside you that will never leave you nor forsake you. And that is Jesus to be a real and alive in your heart and your life. Just come forward, Nessie. And anyone else that has a need in your life this morning, perhaps you've never accepted Christ as your own personal Savior, you can do it this morning. Hallelujah. Just ask him. Come into my heart. Come into my heart, Lord Jesus. Come in today. Come in to stay. Come into my heart, Lord Jesus. That's how real he is. His promises are yea and amen. His promises are yea and amen. And as we pray for Nessie this morning as a church and Len together, as we anoint him with oil in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit this morning, 